Hello and welcome to Bright Wings, children's books to make the heart soar. I am your host, Charity Hill. The purpose of this conversation is to help mothers and fathers identify books that will liberate their children to embrace truth, goodness, and beauty. Of course, I wouldn't have this podcast if I didn't love children's literature, but I have a special heart for quality books for the littlest children. Today, I want to discuss with you guidelines I have for great board books, what to look for, and what to rule out. One of the questions we're always asking ourselves is, does this book correspond to the ultimate goal of my parenting? But for such little children, we're talking like eight months, some people read it six months, six to 18 months, let's say, for such little children, I simply ask, does this book foster my child's connection and delight and understanding in the world that is right at his fingertips? The great foundation you're laying at this point in your family life and in the books that you read is the, que- the answer to the question, what is? It sounds very dramatic, but the board books that you choose lay this foundation for opening up your child's connection to the very foundations of what is real and how to name it. There's something almost hilarious about the seriousness of this stage of the questions that are um, answered by books at this stage. What is and who am I? Such beautiful questions. The world is wide open for discovery. And oneself is wide open to be discovered, to be recognized, to be seen. Maybe it's been a while since you reflected on your own narrative, your own um, understanding of the story that you tell about yourself. I wanted to share with you, since today we're reflecting on the question of what is and who am I and how to begin with our very littlest children, I thought I would share with you my story about asking myself these questions at a very early age and how the answer to the question what is and who am I have shaped me. And I suppose too, it gives you a little bit of an understanding about who I am and what kind of trail guide I am in this adventure about books. So pretty early in childhood, the word love emerged as an answer to the question of who am I? The word love really shaped my narrative. I was always a bit of an intense kid and a bit precocious, maybe because I was almost the youngest in a big family. I asked big questions. Anyway, as I began to wonder, who am I? I didn't have to look far. After all, there was my name, Charity. I thought that was a good place to start. I remember I must have been less than three. One of my earliest memories was asking, mommy, what's the meaning of my name? And I asked her this because whenever I was introduced to adults, they would always tell me, what a pretty name you have, honey. And so I turned to my mom at some point and asked her the meaning of my name. And when I learned that the meaning of my name was love, I was really happy and proud at discovering that my name meant something so beautiful and important. It's always perked at my ears my whole life long whenever whenever anyone speaks of love. 
But one thing I want to point out is that love is not just the meaning of my existence, but the purpose and meaning of all existence. When I became a mother, now more than 10 years ago, I recognized a corollary truth. That if the meaning of life, my life, your life, is love, then the purpose of life is relationship. The purpose of life is a living together in love that's best understood as communion. You've probably discovered this too. In a sense, I knew it before I knew it. I knew it all along before it became explicit. I'd marinated in this truth with friends from the K through 12 days. I'd smelt it in college. I relished it in friendships during my time of full-time volunteering. Heck, I even knew it in my relational disappointments, my, my unmet longings for understanding. These, you know, these pains wouldn't have hurt if my heart hadn't been made for more, if my heart hadn't been made for communion. Of course, when I met my husband, what made me marvel was that we belonged together, not so much because we loved each other, of course we did, but we belonged together simply because we existed. There was something in him that called to who I am. We are made for this. I remember my heart shouted, this is what I am for. When I gave birth to our first child, though, I abruptly collided with a discovery that I, I, didn't, I didn't belong to myself anymore. Of course, I'd kind of know that for some time, but I mean, I knew I didn't simply exist as an independent island. But with the birth of our first child, my mind was hijacked. I was accustomed to life as a highly engaged graduate student, but without my consent, I could not not think of our daughter all the time. At least in the background, she was present to me. And I think birth underscores this meaning of human life as relationship. It points to something so fundamental We can call it relationship or living together in love, communion. But my child arrives in the world connected to me from inside. Inside psychologically, physically, biologically, spiritually, metaphysically. And I am connected to her. She's not only connected to me in this way, but I think In varying degrees of directness and intensity, she's connected to the world, right? I mean, if we think simply about metabolism, it's kind of amazing that, you know, oxygen is ready and willing to be integrated into her bodily organization, From the moment of her existence, my daughter was immersed in this web of relationships. And there are obvious primary relationships that have a special role. It's given her father and me that were the main mediators of the world to her. If you think about breast milk as an analogy, right? For a while, the world passes through you 
in order to become adequate to her. As her daughter grew, I have to say, I felt like her translator. I translated the world to her, and when necessary, I translated her to the world. Now, this was sometimes was very literal, so I, I have to say I specifically remember a Christmas where she was this early and voluminous talker, and she would talk, and I would generate subtitles. <laughs> and I think it's part of my job as a mama to be this dual mediator. Reading board books with my child is one of the first ways that I translate the world to her. When they're so little and not talking, sometimes you wonder what is going on in their little minds. I remember when one of my daughters was so young, she enjoyed sitting on the couch and reading books. To be honest, I was doing it more for the sake of relationship than anything else, but I just didn't know what was sinking in in a practical level. Is she getting anything out of this? Is anything sticking? Is the world getting in there? My 15-month-old looked at her dress with an embroidered ladybug crawling up a sunflower. Her eyes lit up, and she ran over to her ladybug counting board book and nearly exploded trying to tell me that both things were ladybugs. (laughs) So I tell you that story to as a little example of how reading together helps to foster not only your communion with your child, but also her conscious understanding and communion with the world. Reading together with a 12 or 18 month old is about unpacking reality. We meditate, we marvel. And like all things worth meditating and marveling at, we repeat. (laughs) One of children's spiritual capabilities, I think, is to perceive the depth and mystery of ordinary things. And children want to hear the same things said and read, not because they didn't hear it the first time, but because I think they're marveling that this is so. Repetition allows the child to draw in reality and make it a part of herself. I know, I know. It can make me want to die to have to read Goodnight Moon just one more time. So let me say three things. First, pick your board books to have a poetic depth. And pick them to have beautiful illustrations, right? Because you're going to read them until you've memorized them backwards, So if there's this kind of poetic depth to the books that you're reading, you're less likely to get bored and you're more likely to be giving your children's minds something really rich. Another thing is like, just let like, it's okay, let's take heart because the board book stage lasts only about six months. Maybe third, the third thing to think about is that if your child's craving the repetition of a particular book, Maybe it's possible that there's something in it he or she needs, some sort of vital nutrient or nourishment that she needs and enjoys. It can be annoying. It can be hard to face, quite frankly. If you're worried about the monotony of board books or already suffering the monotony of board books, well, there's a quote I have to share with you that helps to encourage me, helps me to see things a little differently. Check it out. It's from G.K. Chesterton. He says, 
because children have abounding vitality, because they are in spirit fierce and free. Therefore, they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again. And the grown-up person does it again until he is nearly dead. For grown-up people are not strong enough to exalt in monotony. But perhaps God is strong enough to exalt in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun, and every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never got tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy, for we have sinned and grown old, and our Father is younger than we. I love that quote because it really invites me to see the world with the same kind of sense of wonder and discovery that a child does, and to set aside my annoyances and be as delighted and whimsical as my child. And even to wonder, maybe my child sees something novel here, something that I'm missing. Even if repetition is one of our hiccups, it shows us that our child is delighting and connecting and understanding the world at his fingertips. And that's your goal. All right, you want to help your child understand what is and the answer to the question, who am I? To help us do that, I have two practical suggestions. The first is about illustrations and the second is about language. First, illustrations. To foster integration and connection between what your child sees in the book and what they see in the world. I suggest books that are beautiful and simple with illustrations that are naturalistic. A child can easily look at the pictures and know what it represents. Uh, So that's one of my guidelines for board books. Trees should look like trees. People should look like people. I'm suggesting avoiding books where the people have purple skin and blue hair. Sometimes the illustrator Eric Carle plays around with color in this way. It's hard for me to persuade you not to read those to your little ones because he's doing so much that's beautiful with color. Sometimes people really do have purple in their hair. You know, there are purple shadows in your hair when you have black hair. Reality really is like that. But my point is, we don't want the illustrations to be so unusual that the child can't recognize what they are. So just to clarify, I really like Eric Carle's illustrations because of the richness of color. But I think for very, very little children, they sometimes don't know what they're looking at. But again, I really do recommend his books, Brown Bear, Brown Bear, What Do You See? Polar Bear, Polar Bear, What Do You Hear? I have a few of those on my favorites list. One of my very strong unfavorites is Dr. Seuss. I find him very unhelpful for very small children. You can laugh and you can disagree with me, but hear me out. Dr. Seuss's books are so extremely surreal that I feel like I have a really high fever when I read them and look at them. I remember feeling almost sick reading them as a kid. They made me feel weird and lonely, kind of lost. In the Seuss books, trees don't look like trees. Dogs don't look like dogs. There are no people, really. There's like hybrid people, animal bodies. Certainly the language can be fun, but the adult figures in the book are irresponsible and unreliable. But more than anything, I find Dr. Seuss unhelpful because the illustrations are so surreal. A child should be able to easily recognize what they're seeing in a book as being part of the world, as belonging to the world they know. 
Surrealist book illustrations make it too difficult for children to forge those connections between what they read and what they see. Of course, we don't want to make it too easy for them either. We want to engage their beautiful little minds. Give those minds some work to do. How can we do that? I avoid board books of which the illustrations are photos. There are a lot of these out there. And I think it's kind of like a 1980s, early 90s thing. The worst of these are like in primary colors and they're photos of household objects. I just don't have a lot of purpose for a book filled with household objects and their names. Unless unless you have an ESL child or, or something, they're really trying to acquire language. On that note, in all humility, I have to admit, I checked out some books just like this, except they were in Spanish, because I wanted to acquire Spanish vocabulary for household objects. But if this isn't your purpose, hopefully, hopefully you can point to and name things in your house with your baby toddler. And then you You can use reading opportunities to engage in something deeper. With the tiniest child, I don't worry about a book having a plot. Often if there's a plot, it will be best told in the pictures. As far as my memory serves me, my children really wouldn't sit too well for a book with an explicit plot until plus or minus 18 months. Something I really do want to affirm are books with rhymes and rhythms because this helps to draw out the delight that language is. Books with rhymes and rhythms are wonderful because children are immersing themselves in the sounds and the possibilities that language presents to them. I don't know if you ever had this experience as a child, but I remember listening to songs and not understanding the words at all, but just listening to the rhythm that the words created and not being able to understand the lyrics, but still enjoying the song really acutely anyway. (laughs) So books with rhyme and rhythm honor their developmental stage by showing them that the sounds of language really are wonderful. All right, friends, if you need utilitarian reasons to read board books with rhyme and rhythm, such as Mother Goose and Robert Louis Stevenson poems, let me just give you a few. So books with rhyme and rhythm promote auditory skills with pitch and volume and inflection. They teach sound patterns. They help your child's mouth and tongue and speech pattern to be developed and strengthened. And these old, odd books also increase vocabulary because sometimes they're filled with unfamiliar or slightly archaic words. And research has shown that uh, Mother Goose, these nursery rhymes, develop children of very diverse sociological backgrounds into good readers. I'm totally not an expert in this, but you can look it up online and find out more. All right, so we have two main points that help guide our board book choices. When we are looking for books that answer the question, who am I and what is, we already asked, is the book beautiful to look at? Is it clear what's being illustrated? Is the book too realistic? Is it photos or cartoons? Our second point is language. Are the words interesting? curious, rhythmic, or rhyming? If you're listening to this and you have a baby or a toddler plus older kids, you might discover a great benefit. There can be great benefit for older kids hearing some of the more poetic things you're reading to your littles. I know that I picked up almost by osmosis poems by Robert Louis Stevenson that my mother was reading to my much younger sister. Poems such as The Swing and I believe the other one's called the river. It goes, 
Dark brown is the river, golden is the sand. It flows along forever with trees on either hand. See, I still got it. It's still in me. Reading to children of this age can really be a pleasure. These books can can enter your your family's set of inside jokes. It can become part of your family's folklore. I know around here we still quote some of the board books and silly rhymes. You'll develop your own stories about stories. Board books are the beginning of a great adventure. We'll see your child's delight as he recognizes and names what is. And you'll be wowed as you see his identity emerge in relation to the world at his fingertips. If you would like a book list to help you get started choosing board books for your little ones, you can go to our website and subscribe and I'll send you an email with some of my favorite board books and um, beautifully illustrated works for your smallest children. The place for that is brightwingschildrensbooks.com. I wish you a sweet beginning to your little one's reading adventure. <laughs>